0: As a young pastor, I thank you for the pastors that have gone before us and left wells in the valley, and for each of you who have left wells in the valley that when we go through those times of life, that we have the joy in the midst of that. It is my just i i 'm so excited about this morning uh, as I was sitting right here on the front row, and Brother Ed was singing. Um, I shared with Brother Ed where I was going, uh, but he told me I'd, he had already prepared for today. Um, you didn't change anything, did you, after what I had shared? And everything he just sang, I was just like, man, there's the message. I might as well just, just stay seated right here. I mean, just even the words that he spoke and the scripture that he gave, I just, I was jotting down scriptures he was reading. I was like, man, like that needs to go in the middle of all of this. So this week, as I was just asking the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I got nothing. Like, my, my heart, like, I just, I don't know where I'm supposed to go on Sunday. And if you don't tell me, uh, I'm in trouble. And, you know, I've got to bring a word on Sunday. And the Lord began to put on my heart this little book in the middle of the Bible that when he told me, I said, is that even in the Bible? Uh, but today we're going to be in, some people call it Haggai, and some people call it Haggai. Um, Chapter 1. Now, I'll give you about 10 minutes and then we'll get back. Y'all go and find it. Um, It's three books back from Matthew. Uh, If you want to go backwards, it's Matthew, Malachi, I think Zechariah or Zephaniah, and then Haggai. I'm going backwards there. Um, And so, um, I hear the pages flipping. I'll give you just a second. And as y'all do this, I want to just share my life verse uh, I do want you to actually, if you have a Bible with you today, go on and go to Haggai because um, we're just going to walk through the scripture. So we're going to be in it the whole time. I want you to be able to see it. I want you to be able to jot notes down. I want you to really look at and digest the scripture. But my life verse my script, uh, and my message in preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but on the demonstration of the power of the spirit and the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. And that's my prayer today. Let's go Lord in prayer. Lord, I know that you have given me this word. And I know that this is the word that you have for for me. That you have for the people here today at Luke 4.18. And so Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus right now that you prepare our hearts. That the breath of the living God will go forth into our heart O God that we will have ears to hear what you are speaking eyes to see what you are doing and Lord I pray right now God that this is not a word that just falls on our heart and we just say it's wonderful but there's no action Lord I pray today that we see action from the word that you've given us Lord we love you and we praise you and we give you all glory for it's in your name amen Haggai chapter 1, it says, and I just want you all to know, I practice very hard on these words. Um, and so, bear with me, but here we go. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel and to the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehosadak the high priest, saying... Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says. Now let me just make sure you're, you're hearing this. The Lord is saying to Haggai, hey, the people have said what's to follow. The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourself to dwell in your panel houses while the house lies desolate. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now we're going to stop there because I want to just take just a minute and just kind of build on on just the history a little bit. Obviously, many of y'all know the the, the story of the Old Testament. They were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. They they went across the Red Sea. God moved in a mighty way. They came Mount Sinai. Ultimately, they were coming into Uh, the the, the promised land. They sent in their spies. Some of them didn't believe. Ten of them were actually fearful. Two of them were okay and ready to go. They wandered in the desert. Ultimately, they came in. Then we have the conquest period, right? They they conquer um, the land. Then after that, we begin to see the kings, right? The kingdom period. We have uh, King Saul first, who, as many of y'all walked through the Bible, had no heart for God, right? Then we had King David, who had a full heart for God. And then we had Solomon, who had half a heart for God, as they say. Ultimately, dividing the kingdom with Rehoboam uh, and his son Jeroboam, divided the kingdom northern-southern. And ultimately, the northern kingdom uh, was conquered and, and taken over. And the southern kingdom, after a little while, went into exile to Babylon. All right. Now, after several years of exile in Babylon and ultimately going through different rulers, they began to have a remnant come back. Now, let me just share with you the reason I want you to know there's a remnant that came back was, is that people began to get comfortable in this foreign land. Some of them said, you know what, we've raised our children here. Like They've given us opportunity to worship here and to do our thing here. And so we're just going to stay, but a remnant comes back. And there's three main people in this coming back of the remnants into the Holy Land. We have Nehemiah. Now, I like to remember Nehemiah as a man. This is how I remember it. I I picture a guy on his knee, Nehemiah, on his knee, building a wall. All right? Because Nehemiah comes back to what? He begins to, he gets a decree to come back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. All right. Then we have Ezra, and I, I, I kind of remember is that Ezra brings back the people. She comes back with some of the people, and then the third person is Zerubbabel, and I like to say Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple.able <laughs> Now you can all remember what Zerubbabel and um, people people say different pronunciations of Zerubbabel or Zerubitable. but anyways, I like to say Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple.able So now y'all all know what Zerubbabel did. Now, every time I say that in the scripture, your mind is now going to say the temple of we but we'll we'll get through it. So here they are. Now, they've come back into the land. Now, now what I want you to understand is, is that God is speaking to Haggai, or, or Haggai, and he's saying, listen, the people have said that it's not time to rebuild the house of the living God. But yet they have time to not only build their house, but their own house, but they also have time to make sure that it, that it goes into uh, to, to description of paneled housing. And so what type of housing that was, I, I don't know for a fact, but I know that he gives that description to show that it was a complete, elaborate, it was done, it was done well. And so they're focused their time on rebuilding their own house and neglecting that of the Lord. So let's go back to Ezra for just a second. In Ezra chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, I want you to see this. They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father household and said to them, Let us build with you, for we like you seek your God. And we have been sacrificing to him since the days um, of Esheron, the king of Assyria, who brought us up here. Now let me just stop there and just tell you uh, the, the verses before that. This is the enemies. Coming to Zerubbabel and saying, let us help you build the temple. Let us help you build it. Now up until this point, they had already they had built the altar and they had built the foundation. You can go back to Ezra chapter 3 and Ezra chapter 4 and you can read about this. So the foundation of the house of God was built. The altar was built, but that was it. And so they're, they're building the, the, the house of the Lord. And then we get to all of a sudden their enemies show up and they say, hey, let us help you build the house of the Lord. And, and so then in verse 5, it says, or in verse 3, But Zerubbabel and, and, and Jeshua and, and the rest of the heads of the father household of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. And they hire counselors against them and frustrated their, their counsel all the days of Cyrus the king of Persia until the reign of Darius the king of Persia. Alright, so we have the house of the Lord being built. The foundation's been laid. The altar has been created or, or been built. And then all of a sudden, their enemies come in and they begin to frighten them and they begin to scare them and they lose focus of what they were to do. And in that moment... They all of a sudden decide, okay, it's better for me to start to work on my own house than the house of the Lord. Right there in verse 5, it says, until the, king, till the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. And obviously in Haggai chapter 1, it said the second year of Darius, the king, right? So y'all are seeing this timeline together. So what the Lord is speaking to them here is this, and this is my first point. I want to ask you, whose house are you focused on? Whose house are you focused on? In this moment, the, 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 the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to Haggai and saying, y'all are more focused on your own personal house and your own personal ways than you are on what God is doing in His house. I like to kind of look at it this way, and I'm going to use an example. I like to use examples. And I really like Mustangs, so uh, I brought a Mustang here for you. And I, I just want you to know that um, I love listening to other pastors. I love to, to, to hear. And so this was an example that I saw from Francis Chan. And when I saw it, I was like, "Y'all, we, it's just unbelievable. I just got to show you. And so for us, this is our life. It's like a car. And the problem is, is that when we accept Jesus into our life, sometimes... People say, okay, God, you, you, you come into my life, thank you so much for salvation, now get in the trunk. And I'm going to drive around, and I'm going to have a good time, and when I get a flat tire, I'm going to pull you out of the trunk. When i got a situation in my life, Lord, then I will let you into my life, and I'll let you help me, because that's what I need. I need you to help me in times of trouble, but that's it. And so for some of us, we put God in the trunk. Of the car. For some of us. We say you know. Hey hey, God. Like I want people to know. That I'm a believer. And I want them to understand. That, that you know. That, that you're in my life. And so why don't you come alongside. And ride in the passenger seat. We'll, we'll drive around. I'll, I'll take the lead. But you can be there. As I take the lead. You can be there to help me. And I'll show you off to all my friends. I'll let them know. So, so you're in the passenger seat of my car. And we're going to cruise around. But the whole time, the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. Give me the keys. Give me the keys. Now, what I want you to understand is is that he's saying, give me the keys, because I'm the creator, God, and you're created. Let me give you a better understanding of this. So, my daughter, five years old, she has this... This chair. I I don't know, like there's just this plush chair with her name on it in our house. And she will sit in her chair as five years old. And she'll not want to clean up and she'll ask mom and Daddy, y'all clean up. And when she wants food, she's sitting in her throne and she'll be like, Hey mama, I want food. Hey Daddy, I want food. Now, I'm sure none of your kids would have ever done that. But our kids naturally do this, do they not? And so they don't understand their position. Like, hold up, Emmy, you're five years old. I'm your dad. Like, I'm your father. Like, I work hard for you to even have that chair that you're sitting in right now. Like, do you realize what it requires to put food on the table? They begin to take it for granted and begin to think, not placing their father in a place of honor, they begin to think, well, you know what, I'm just going to tell my dad what, what, what I need when I need it, and I'm expecting him to do what, what I'm asking him to do because my daughter, at five years old, oftentimes does not realize her place as my daughter, and I as her father. So we also forget sometimes that He's the Creator and we're the created. And how often do we sit in our chair and say to our Heavenly Father, hey, I'm focused on on my house right now. I'm focused on my house, God. And I'm going to need this and I'm going to need that. Lord, I'm praying for this and I'm praying for that. But yet we never say... Okay, Lord, you you drive the car. You take the lead. And listen, I'm going to to just put this right here for a minute, okay? For just a few minutes. Because I want you to remember that. And so as I began to think about this, John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things that came into being... Through Him and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. God's saying, hey, from the beginning, I was here. Like, I was never created. Like, I've been here forever and ever and ever. And who are you as a created? We weren't even created until the next chapter of Genesis 2. And who are you to sit there and say, I'm going to take the lead, God, And I'm going to ask you to follow me. You know the scripture says that if you want to be his disciple to pick up your cross and to follow after him. It does not say if you want to be a disciple of Christ then tell God to follow after you. But how often do we miss the priority of who God is as the creator God and us as the created And so let's go on in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6. Well, let's go back to verse 5 and get a running start here. It says this Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but the harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put it in a purse with holes. Some of us feel like that today, don't we? Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. He says, hey... You've got it all wrong. You've missed it. You're too focused on your own self and your house. And you've missed the fact that you're supposed to put my house first. My kingdom first. Not about your kingdom. My kingdom. And so because of that. Because you've tried to take the driver's seat. You have planted. And you didn't have enough food. You've tried to get drink and you haven't gotten enough drink. You've put on clothes and you don't stay warm. He says... You've tried to do it on your own and you have failed. And then he continues on. He says, but, but go and rebuild. But verse 10, he goes back to the understanding. He says, therefore, because you, the sky was withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain and the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces on men, on cattle and all the labors of their hand. Do you see what the Lord just said? You have put yourself above me, but I'm the creator. And so because you think that you're in control, ultimately you're not. All that you have tried to do to create provision on your own, oh, I brought about a drought so that you would understand who I am. He said, I created a drought so that you would realize that you trying to put yourself over me will not work. So let's go back to this car illustration for a second. God is saying, hey, I, I'm gonna, I, I, you need to give me the keys and let me drive. But some of us will say, no, Lord, I got it on my own. You know, I got a good job. I got a little bit of money in the bank. I'm able to provide for my family. Lord, I'm good. I even had a person tell me two weeks ago, true story, this person said, David, I don't need God he said, because I don't need religion to, to be able to provide and be a good person. So the world is saying, hey, and, and, and even us as Christians, we try to take the lead and we try to take control. And so then we sit in the driver's seat and we think we got it all together. And there we are driving the car. But then God shows up like this. Over here on the side. With the remote control. So... Though we may be in the driver's seat thinking we're driving, but then here's God over here. Nope, I'm gonna, I'm drought, yep. Uh huh, see, yeah, you thought you were gonna drive the car, David, uh, but, but, but that was just a, a facade. And what I'm trying to show you is this is that when we try to take the lead and we try to do it on our own, it's simply a facade thinking that we can do it, but in reality, it's the king. He closed up the heavens in the fact of not allowing rain or dew so that they were not able to produce the food of the land. So let me ask you this question. Whose kingdom are you focused on? Whose house are you building today? Now let me just kind of remind you. Now in the scripture in the Old Testament, they're building a temple for the presence of the Lord to dwell in that place. But let me ask you something. How do we relate that to today? The scripture says... Let me make sure I give you the right scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? God is telling us that His temple today is each of us. That's the reason why I called this place that we're meeting in, not the church. This is not the church. This is the church house. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the living God. And so the Lord is asking us today, He's saying, are you focused on your house as in your kingdom, your things, all of your possessions, who you are? Are you focused on the souls of men that make up the kingdom of God when they come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior? Who are you focused on? Are you letting God take the priority in your life? Have you lost focus? Remember Ezra chapter 4? They lost focus. They were building the temple and then something frightened them. And all of a sudden they were like, well, Lord, I understand that you're maybe telling me to do this or calling me to do that, but but that just don't make sense. And this makes sense. And I'm a little scared to step out on a limb over here, God. So you know what? I'm going to just come over here and I'm going to play it safe. And that's exactly what they did. The next point I want you to see in this, and and before I tell you the point, I want to show you in the scripture. It says in verse twelve, "Then Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people, and underline this if you feel comfortable, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God." The voice of the Lord was spoken to them and they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of the Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him and the people showed reverence for God. So what did they do by obeying? What did they begin to do at this point? They begin to rebuild the the house of God. So point number two, obey, do something. It reminds me of a pastor or, or a story of a pastor, young man, um, very humble. And he went to, a, to, to the call of a church. He shared with them and, and, and they decided that this was the guy for them. They were so excited that this young, enter, enthusiastic pastor was coming to their church. and They were so ready for and they were so excited. He showed up on day one and he preached a message that just, I mean, knocked their socks off. They were so excited. They came back the next week. More people showed up. They were ready to hear what he was going to say. And he preached the same message. And the people were like, well, what's going on? They were like, okay, well, maybe he just didn't have time to prepare. Maybe something had happened. And so they come back the next week in in anticipation. They're so excited. And all of a sudden, he preaches the same message. And the people are like, wait, hold up. Like, okay, okay. This is not what we thought we were getting when we did the pastor search committee and, and walking through all of this. So on the fourth Sunday, they show up and guess what? He preaches the same message again. And they were like, okay, this, this guy needs to study some more or something. Well, of course the 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 deacons and the elders of the church they come together and they have a meeting and they said listen we thought that this was the guy but i don't think he is we need to just we need to we need to let him go we need to remove him at this point he's just preaching the same thing over and over and over and the pastor this young pastor sees this meeting going on and he walks into the meeting and he said hey guys What's the meeting all about? And they said, well, listen, uh, we just feel like we, we're going to have to let you go because you've, you've preached the same message over and over and over. And, and the, 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 the head of chairman of deacons, he said, well, why have you done that? And he looked at him and said, because I'm not going to move on until I see action from what God is speaking to the people. Why would we keep moving forward as if we just hear the Word but don't do anything until they get it, until they hear it, until action takes place in their life, then maybe we just need to stay right here. When the Word of the Lord came to Haggai or Haggai to Zerubbabel and it was spoken to the people, they began to create action. Let me just say something that... that uh, it may be hard to hear. It's hard for me to hear. Good intentions does not please God. Action pleases God. Let me say that again. Good intentions does not please God. Action pleases God. You know, I've got a pet peeve in my life. I don't know what that means, but that's just what they say all the time. But, but, but just one thing that just, just gets me to no end is when people say that they have good intentions and then they just say, well, I'm sorry, I had good intentions, but I just didn't do it. And I I want to tell them, but I don't say it. I hold it on on the inside and I want to say, well, listen, if there's no actions and you really didn't mean it. You really didn't mean it. Said, no, I really didn't mean it, but I just didn't get around to it. Well, it wasn't a priority in your life. When God speaks to us, we should not be the same. It should lead us to a call of action. It says in James um, chapter, let me make sure I give you the right scripture here. James chapter 1 verse 22. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. God's not calling us just to hear the voice of the Lord. If you've got God in the passenger seat of your car, of your life, today before you leave, action point, put God as your ultimate authority. handing him the keys. But I don't know where we're going. That's that's fine. It's the best ride you'll ever be on. Have you ever been in a car where somebody's driving that's just having a great time driving and you're sitting there going, where are we going? And it ends up being quite interesting. Let me just tell you something. My life, since I've given my life to Jesus and handed him the keys of my life, my life has been one of the most interesting things I've ever seen in my life. And I've loved every minute of it. Every minute of it. So what are we going to do when God speaks? Number one is, are we going to focus on his house? Or are we going to focus on our house? Now, let me just remind you that that's individual. That's an individual level, but it's also on a corporate level. Remember, this is the, the, the church house. And so we need to make sure that we are coming together, serving for the kingdom of God, the people in this city So that people will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that the kingdom of God will be advanced. That the kingdom of God, the house of God, will continue to be built. Why? Because more and more people come to know Jesus, the house of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Because we are the temple. You know, just recently we did a missions weekend, two weekends in a row. Are you living missionally? You say, David, how do I get involved? How do I serve? Two weeks ago, the last two weeks outside of last week, or however you say that, three weeks ago and two weeks ago, we had all these people that are in Mobile, Alabama, and even some nationwide and some that are worldwide that we are supporting. But here's the thing. Those that are right here locally, you can get involved today. You can get involved. We have many different things happening here at Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18. Food distribution that takes place. Children's ministry, youth ministry. We have uh, mission trips or are, are mission opportunities. Just different opportunities that you can get involved and be a part of. Why? Because it's God's house we're building, not our own. We're focused on His agenda, not ours. In Matthew chapter 6, it says this. 633, it says But seek first the kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I believe that God gives us in Matthew chapter 28 the key to obedience or the call to obedience. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28 18 and 19, it says this And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God is calling every one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ to focus on His house. And He's calling us to go and share the gospel with people and to disciple those as He's called us in Matthew 28. So let me ask you this question. Will you be a doer of the word? Will you focus on his kingdom? So let's go back to the scripture. It says in verse 12 of Haggai chapter 1. We just read this, but let's just kind of go back and kind of get a running start again. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of uh, Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet and the Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people showed reverence to the Lord. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. All right, let's go back for a second. The creator God of the universe, like Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God, like there is no start to him and there is no end. As we sang just a few minutes ago, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The creator God of the universe, who through, through dust and his image created us, said, when you walk in obedience, I am with you. There is nothing greater in this world than to hear God say, I am with you. As Brother Ed just shared, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because my God is with me. When we go through the valley of life, when we go to the mountaintop, when we're walking with the Lord and He is our pilot, not our co-pilot... When he's the director and the, the the leader of my life, he says, I am with you, the creator God of the universe. And as one pastor says, if you don't amen to that, your amen or may be broken. I mean, like the one like You know, my generation has this word where they say that they get geeked out, like just get excited, like just out of control like excitement like for me this is like the moment like the creator god of the universe says i am with you you're in a tough trial you're in a hard place hey i'm with you you're walking through the mountain i'm with you i love you i care for you and listen it's not my desire to hold back the rain It's not not like my my pleasure to just sit there and, and bring a drought because you've got me in the trunk of your car. But I do that because I love you and to get your priority back in line with me being the creator and you being the created. God's desire is to pour out his blessing and his presence upon us. You know how I know that? In the book of Matthew it says that we as fathers know how to give good gifts to our children and so much more does our heavenly Father know how to give gifts and blessings to us. It says in verse Matthew 7 11, it says, If you then be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? So the third point is, I am with you. The creator God of the universe is with us. Now let me just explain to you why this is so important. Go back to Matthew chapter 28. Obedience. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go do something. But then what does it say in verse 20? Some of you all thought, man, why do you leave verse 20 out? That's one of the most powerful verses. I left it out on purpose. Now I'm giving it to you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Listen, I'm talking to the church today. Body of believers, bond servants of the living God. We have a call to walk in obedience, to share the gospel. To let the Holy Spirit live through our lives. And God says. I will be with you. Even till the end of the day. Listen. He is in the driver's seat of our life. And he will be with us. And for those who are going through trying times. Romans 8.31 If God is for us. Then who can be against us? If God is with us. If he's for us. Who can be against us? But yet. For some reason, in Ezra chapter 4, the people lost focus and feared what the people could do to them. And they began to focus on their own stuff instead of God's. And they miss that when you do that, the blessing was being removed. Every time in the Old Testament, when the people lost focus of their God, what happened? There was punishment and discipline, all for a central purpose. Why? To bring the people back the understanding that he's the creator God and that they're the created and they need to put him back on the throne of their life now let me just tell you something here because I don't want somebody to go out and say I got to pull my bootstraps up and I got to go do for the kingdom of God it's not it's not God plus anything the scripture tells us that when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior that Christ lives in me It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you say, David, walking in obedience, what do you mean? I'm I'm saying that you let Christ live through you. You can't do it, but God can every time. And that's why that's so important to realize that God is with us. So let me kind of tie all this together for a second. And let's go back to that seat at my house. There's a purple seat that says Emmy on it, and there's a blue seat that says Sam on it. His real name is Samuel. And one of the things that I have spoken over and over and over to my bride, and I'm sure parents that we do this behind the scenes where, you know, you're just, I mean, hey, my wife and I have had kids for five and a half years now. We're still learning it. And as soon as we think we got it, they get to another age and everything changes. So thank you for the wells in the valley, for all the parents out there. But as I sit there and I think about, I told my my, my bride all the time, I tell Leslie, I say, listen, I just want them to understand and not take it for granted. I want them to get the fact, instead of just abusing this little thing or that little thing or, or just taking it for granted. And my wife was like, you know, they're only five and two. I'm like, I get it. But I just want them to understand that, that it costs something for them to have what they have. It requires something of, of me. God, Well, God blessing of, of us to have jobs, whatever. And then through that, through that we're able to provide for them and that there is a cost to that, that it requ- required something. I tell my wife all the time, I just want them not to take it for granted. I want them to get the fact that it requires something. And let me just tell you something, the generation that's in college today and the generation that's coming up, they've missed the fact that it costs something. And let me just be real, they are entitled. And they have become entitled for reasons that we won't go into today. But let me just tell you, people got to realize that it costs something for you to get something. In my business marketing degree, they said there's no such thing as free lunch. And what they're saying is that it costs something from somebody. And I just want my my children to understand as their father who loves them, I just want them to, to get the fact and don't take it for granted. And man, the Lord dropped just this message in my mailbox this week, and it just put me on my face. And he said, David, you think that it costs you something? For your children to have what they have? He said, It cost my son his life. He said, It cost my son his life for you to have what you have. And you think it's painful when they take it for granted in your life? Think about when the children of God say, Thank you for the blood of the Lamb, but sit in the passenger seat. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb, but get in the trunk. And I'll pull you out whenever I need you. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb, but, but I'll call on you when there's an emergency. But Lord, I'm not giving you control of my life. You think it's painful, David? I sent my son to the cross. And the Lord just rocked my world this week. And he said, David, it's my joy. And I love you. And I sent my son because I love you and he is with you. Walk in obedience. Don't worry about your house. Worry about my house and the people of God. Don't worry about the things of this world that are quickly fading away. But worry about the things that will last for eternal, for eternity. And so today I pray that none of us take it for granted. And that we realize the cost that it took. And that we put God in the driver's seat of our life and we say, God, we don't have any clue where we're going, but we are totally okay because we know the one who's driving. We know the one who's leading. Amen. If you're sitting here today and you're just you, you, you're at the place like the, the like the people of Israel, the remnants that have come back, and, and you're just focused on the wrong things, I pray today here in just a minute we're going to open up the altar. And I pray that you just say, "Lord, I'm laying it all down, and you are in the driver's seat of my life." Amen. Lord, put me in a place of obedience where I go and do for the kingdom of God. And today, as we sing, let's rejoice that our God is with us. The creator God of the universe.